We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Pele leaned in and said something to Freddie. Don't let them change you. Keep working on what makes you different and what makes you special. It was great advice, but it caused me some problems. But what could change Freddie do? Soccer is going to explode, and it's going to be around this kid. We were the Beatles. Everywhere we went, it was the Freddie show. And with that came the expectation, and with that came the pressure. New episodes of American Prodigy drop Tuesdays from Blue Wire Podcasts. Blue Wire. New England sending QB Jimmy Garoppolo to 49ers. We believe we found the right guy. Garoppolo, quick pass, caught by Kittle. He dives, and he's in. Touchdown, 49ers. Kittle is going to go. Touchdown. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Striking Gold, your 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Network. This week's episode is sponsored by Indeed and Bet Online. My name is Rob Lauder. I cover the 49ers for the Blue Wire Network. And joining me tonight is my co-host, genuine businessman, former NFL defensive back, Eric Crocker. What's going on, bro? Oh man, just chilling watching the Cowboys and Ravens. And it's actually a pretty interesting game. Ravens kind of been sliding lately, right? I mean, this was a team, I don't remember who it was, but somebody before the season said the Ravens would go undefeated. Do you remember that? I mean, maybe they were just talking, but, you know, that was kind of how people viewed them, a team that only lost, what, two games last year? And right now they're sitting at 6-5 and five and kind of struggling with the Dallas Cowboys, the 3-8 and eight Cowboys. 
Right, and you know what's and, and, and not to make uh, not to make this about me, obviously because it isn't, but like <laughs> I uh, at the end of last season in my fantasy football league, I was making a champ. I was about to make a championship run. I ended up going all the way to the championship and losing. Um, but before, right before the trade deadline, I was kind of down on running backs. I needed a running back, and so I traded uh, Lamar Jackson, who at the time was like fantasy's number one quarterback. Um, but I also had Deshaun Watson, who I think at the time was number two. So I was like, okay, I like both these guys. Um, I'm going to be able to get the most from Lamar Jackson because I drafted him in like the 12th or 13th round. And, you know, all of a sudden, because t- we have keepers, so, uh, yeah. you know, that has a lot of value. And uh, so I traded him for Philip Lindsay and like a six-round draft pick. And Philip Lindsay ended up going off in my championship game and, and actually did pretty well throughout the playoffs. So I was I was all right with it. But everybody just thought I was the biggest idiot for trading Lamar Jackson. You had your reasons um, for it. I think you're being a smart GM. It kind of reminds me of like 49ers trading DeForest Buckner or something like that, where everybody's like, oh, you're an idiot. But it's like, nah, man, like, they're, you know, I was being strategic with it. Right. And, and, it, and it did pay off. I got to the championship and no, I didn't win. Um, but, it, it, you know, it was all right. And... Uh, it, it it definitely worked out for me in a way in the way I intended it to. Well, then okay, so uh, I traded him, and he ended up being that person's keeper, and he hasn't been anywhere near the quarterback he was last year. You know, it didn't. He hasn't. He hasn't been. I think I don't even think he's top ten right now. He might be, but. And I ended up in my in the draft, and and this is kind of some karma a little bit on me. But I traded up in this year's draft to draft Dak Prescott at quarterback, which for, while he was healthy, obviously he broke his ankle and, and that was that. But while he was healthy, he was like QB1 or QB2 in fantasy, somewhere in there, just a, a one or two spots behind Russell Wilson with how he started. So anyways, long story short, the Baltimore's like kind of like decline has, has been a little weird. They're only six and five. Uh, and like you said, the Dallas Cowboys, who are three and eight, who the 49ers play in a couple weeks, are kind of giving them a game. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it is a little weird. But, I mean, did we kind of, as 49ers uh, fans, as 49ers, people that follow the 49ers, did we kind of expect Lamar Jackson's effectiveness to wear off after what we saw happen to, uh, to Colin Kaepernick? Uh, Kaepernick? Yeah, I think a lot of people expected the, quote-unquote, league to catch up to him. And I think the toughest thing when you are a quarterback and you're one-dimensional and is on the ground I think it just limits the different ways that you can win, right? And when I mean win, I mean, like, you know, be successful. Uh, you know, as opposed to somebody that wins with their arm, you know, there's just way too many ways to be effective that way. Um, when it's with your legs, it's, you know, that's it. And, I mean, obviously, you know, it still works. We saw Lamar Jackson run off for what? What was that? On fourth and two, like a 40-yard touchdown run just now? But – you just have to hope that you hit big like that because I, I don't think being able to just run around and not have a legit passing game is sustainable. Now, with Lamar Jackson, he can throw the ball, but he's not really a pure passer. And a lot of the things that he does as a passer is a little unconventional, and I think that forces him to be a little hit and miss at times. His ability to run and the threat of it kind of opens up uh, passing lanes for him. But when a team isn't threatened by his passing, like maybe he has to, or by his running, and he has to throw to win, that's when he's really in trouble. So we'll see how this game plays out. But that's kind of what we've been seeing uh, 
along this way now. Teams kind of slowing them down a little bit on the ground here and there. Obviously, he still gets his rushing yards, but they're not losing by that and definitely not losing by him uh, throwing the ball around. Yeah, it's – I mean, obviously, there are, are generational-type talents, like someone like Patrick Mahomes, where no matter what a defense does, for the most part – you know, he was he's always going to find a way to do his thing or it seems like like even with the 49ers in the Super Bowl against Mahomes, you know, for three and a half quarters, they kept that man down. But it always seemed in that game like you're you're playing with fire. It's only a matter of time before this guy starts cooking. And that's kind of eventually what happened. And every now and then we've seen him have bad games. But I have always been and, and my original point was. There, there are players that are just so good that it's it's almost impossible to stop at times. But I've always just been so impressed by the NFL's ability because they always say it like, "Look, one, you know, once these coaches have more time with film on you, then we'll see what you're able to do." And I'm always impressed by how often that holds true. <laughs> right? Like, you know even, what I mean? Like, even I mean, look what they've done to Jimmy Garoppolo. They've condensed the field, make made him have to throw passes that he's not comfortable attempting and you know in turn like we've seen him kind of struggle a little bit right and and it's just it's it's amazing to me how quickly how quickly NFL teams will adapt and, and it, no matter how many times it gets said it gets said to the point where it's almost a cliche but it just happens like look at Lamar Jackson you know he was just destroying the league last year and I'm not saying he's bad this year. Obviously, he's still a great player. But it, it's just he's nowhere near as effective. And the entire offense as a whole has taken a huge dip because of the fact that NFL teams have had an entire offseason to look at him. And coordinators now you know, can put together a solid game plan that that is based on a lot more tendencies than – and as I'm saying, this Lamar he Jackson just – yeah, but- that, that goes to what – what I was saying, when he has the threat of him as a runner, he gets these layup throws. And the touchdown we just saw with Miles Boykin from uh, Notre Dame, after the uh, run action fake, is just wide open because he sucks up all the linebackers. They're all down. And he gets these gaping holes behind the secondary. You know, and teams, like, even after he fakes it, they're still not sure, is he going to take off? Is he going to – and while they're thinking about that, somebody's running butt naked open, and that's what we just saw for the touchdown. So that's the effects of having a quarterback that's as dynamic as him. Now, obviously, he's a unicorn with his ability, right? There's uh, there's some guys that can run Kyler Murray, but, I mean, the Lamar Jackson, like, he wants to run. Murray, he really wants to pass first, and then he will start, you know, running around. But Lamar Jackson is like, that is their game. Run – uh, and fake and fake to the running back and him take off. And you have to be ready on every play of all three threats, him handing it, him keeping it, and then him faking all of those and throwing it. And and that's the tough part about this uh, offense. Right, right. Yeah, that's a good point. But speaking of the Baltimore Ravens, uh, Des Bryant was all ready to go against the, his former team, the Dallas Cowboys today. Um, originally signed to the Baltimore's practice squad, and then he obviously made it up to the uh, – to the to the active roster and was all set to play today and, and NFL officials came onto the field and I, and I can't it's kind of hard to narrow down exactly what happened but Des Bryant made it seem like he got taken off the field tested right there with like a obviously a rapid test tested positive and then wasn't allowed to play in the game yeah which is unbelievable 
Like, I, yeah, I think. I mean, obviously, it's gonna seem sketchy because you know he's about to go up against his former team. But it's like, man, like you come and get me. Like, and I saw the. It's not like he just got popped, you know, prior to the game, or you know, and then he was warming up. I watched him show him running, warming up, running around, sitting around, like on his phone during warmups, all that. And then, according to his tweet, they called him off the field, tested him, and I guess right then and there, it's like, hey, you got COVID? Like, how, <laughs> how does that work? He's like, what? Like, no way, I'm getting ready to play the Cowboys. Right. And, it, and it, to me, it's like, I thought our testing process in the NFL was meant to avoid situations like that. Like did, right. did Des Bryant already test positive and they gave him one more test in that moment just to confirm it? Or was that his first time taking a test? Because why would you feel the need to test somebody on game day right before the game? You know, when they've been testing all week, it just seems like a really, I'm not, I'm not saying it's shady whatsoever. I mean, I, 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 I Des Bryant, nobody would go out of their way to make sure Des Bryant couldn't play in a game. He's he's not prime Des Bryant. He's not going to dominate a game right. like, like he once did. But it still just seems like wild. Like how does how is a player that's positive allowed to come on the field and shake hands and dap everybody up and and you know like what the hell happened there? Right. Now, with that and what we haven't heard anything about, you know, they have that whole contact tracing thing. Like so did they pull anybody else off the field? Like, I'm pretty sure he was in close contact with guys. Yeah, there, I, I think there's I think there's video, on a, a social media video of, of him kind of just going around and, and saying what's up to people. I mean, think about how many former teammates would be still be on Dallas that he that he was on the team with that he would feel like he needed to say hi to. New Dallas guys that are coming up and saying hi to them. Like, hey, man, you're my hero. I've been watching you since I was a kid. Whatever. It's... It's like, but he was positive that whole time. And I, I just want to know what gave them the idea to test him right then and there. Right. Because you'd think that would already all be done. I, I don't know. I don't know. Just seems like a little bit of a, a lapse in the program if a man who is positive is allowed to just be in that situation. But I don't know. Weird. Just, just super weird. Super weird. Super weird. But anyways, 49ers stuff, 49ers things. Um not too many, not too not 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 a whole lot of news, not a whole lot of um you know breaking housekeeping stuff, not breaking stuff, housekeeping stuff. Uh, the 49ers did release Jordan Matthews off their practice squad, which is about as 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 headline as it gets at this point right now, um which doesn't mean much. I mean, he was on the uh probably on the practice squad just to make sure they had another wide up that if they, if they needed to call him up. But now that Brandon Ayuk and Debo Samuel and Kendrick Bourne and Richie James and are all healthy, then they, they really just don't have, have a need for him anymore in that spot. So it, they let him go. And, you know, they're at a point where Trent Taylor, who at one point we've seen, you know, have some, have an impact. And it's been a while since that point. It's even been a while since, you know, Eric Crocker, Crocker and I watched him dominate a training camp. Um, but he was a healthy scratch against the Bills. So the the 49ers receiving core, minus George Kittle, who obviously is a big part of the passing game, is is pretty healthy and pretty interesting. And we're we're seeing it. You know, we're seeing 
what it looks like and 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 what the 49ers can accomplish. Now, obviously, the big part of that equation that it, that's not out there is an effective quarterback. Nick Mullins is doing what he can, but you know that I mean that's about it in 49ers land. There's not a whole lot of of new stuff going on right now, other than what um what we saw. So let's just get into it. Let's get in. Um, this is normally our winners and losers episode where we where we break down the game in a little more detail and kind of talk about some of the, the individual performances that we're a little more impressed or disappointed by. So why don't you lead us off there, Crocker? Who is your first winner of the 49ers getting trampled by the Bills? <laughs> Brandon Ayuk. Um, easy, easy pick, right? And yeah, so Brandon Ayuk, uh, which it seems like we're saying him after every week, and I didn't want to, but just to show his ability to get open. Now, he did have a little uh, hiccup when he went down to catch a ball, which that was a good throw by Mullins. We talked about it on the last podcast um, to keep him low, and he kind of like popped the ball up in the air. Can't do that. Ended up getting intercepted. But outside of that, just his ability to consistently get open, um, obviously him get the ball down the field. And what I noticed was solidify himself as the guy. Like, they were consistently drawing up plays with a healthy receiver core in the most part, right? The three guys, right? The three guys, uh, uh, Debo, Ayuk, and Kendrick Bourne. And the and with, you know, Jordan Reed on the field. But their, the plays were being drawn up for him. And it was there. Like, he was consistently getting open and they did it in key moments. Um, a couple really nice third down grabs. Uh, you know, had a touchdown. That was a third down grab. The, the the deep ball. I mean, he just he played well, and it was just like I said, it was just very clear. He's undoubtedly the 49ers, you know, wide receiver one. And that was something that I saw with him coming out when the 49ers drafted him, and I really dug into his film and I watched him, and I said this guy has more wide receiver one uh, potential. Then what we get from Debo Samuel. Debo Samuel is not that caliber of a receiver. He's a terrific receiver, but he's not this caliber of a guy. And I, I just – it seems like we're talking about him every week, and I think that's a good thing that every week we're saying, every week that he plays, that, hey, he, he's a winner for the day, and this this is uh, the same. Right, I agree, man. And I'm not, I, I'm not one to – I don't like comparisons in a lot of com- cases. I don't like hyperbole. But um, I was talking to uh, KP from Niners Nation today, and he had tweeted out a, a few plays. I think it was five plays where you know he did it, he was doing his thing. And of course, it's easy to look at highlights and say, "Oh man, this guy's tremendous." But um, dude, there's a lot of the way Ayuk plays the game. There's a lot of Devonte Adams in the way he plays, and I don't know yeah. if we've talked about that yet. But it's obviously he's not that caliber yet. And you, if you know me and, and my opinions, you know that I think Devonte Adams is the NFL's best receiver right now. Uh, I, I just think he is. And, and that comes a lot with the chemistry he's built up with Aaron Rodgers. But Devontae Adams, if you start breaking down his game, he has a his most impressive attribute to me is that he makes very impressive movements, or excuse me, very difficult movements look very easy. And you might only know they're difficult if you have played the game or if you've studied the position or, or some combination of both. But Devontae Adams just makes ridiculously difficult and complex and intelligent routes look incredibly easy. He makes incredibly difficult catches look very easy. He he does it all. And 
I have noticed very small glimpses of the same thing from Brandon Ayuk. Like when he caught, and this is something KP and I talked about, when he caught that deep ball from Nick Mullins, that he was looking over his right shoulder for the ball. The ball was thrown to his, because he was kind of doing uh, like a skinny corner route. Right. You know, he kind of gave the DB a little bit of a, a move at the line of scrimmage. And it could have just been a go route with his own little flare on it. But whatever, he knew it was going to fade to the sideline. And so the ball, he kind of was looking for the ball over his right shoulder. The ball was thrown over his left shoulder. So he just casually, while running full speed, casually just flips himself around, faces back towards the ball, flips himself around and catches that bitch. Which, yeah. you go back and watch that. It look, he made it look easy. He made it look like it was whatever. I, of course, I caught it. But I know that you know, Crocker, that controlling yourself while you're moving that fast, that precisely, while looking up at a ball is incredibly difficult. It's extremely difficult. That, that was impressive. I think the one thing I think he needs to improve on is just his, his hands. And he has good hands. He has strong hands. But it's... You know, when you're young like that and you're thinking a lot about what you're doing, your hands take the biggest hit. And so far we've seen his hands be a little, uh, you know, it's a little, it's not clean, right? Like little bobbles, little, you know, things like that. And I'm pretty sure he would like to clean that up. But as of now, I think that's the only thing that from what I've seen so far and what at least my expectations are of him, that one thing I'm like, "Ah, he can improve a little bit on that. Now, as he continues to play, he's when while he's more sure of what he's doing, you're going to see a whole new level of, of Ayuk. And that's what we've seen from uh, Devontae Adams, right? Devontae Adams is so sure of what he's doing that it's, it's all easy for him. And I think that, you know, in time, we're, we're going to see that from Ayuk where right now he makes certain things look easy, other things where it's like, okay, he's still trying harder, he's thinking a lot. As he plays, that thinking is just going to be reacting. And I think that's when you'll see him really improve after the catch as well. So um, even the punt return, we for, we didn't touch on that, man. He had a punt return. It was like 18 yards. I want to say that was his first punt return of the season. And it looked like he caught it. And I was like, did he call fair catch? <laughs> did you did you see how he kind of like, like kind of like walked backwards a little? It was like he caught it like he was going to just jog off. And I'm like, oh, wait, he's returning it. And then he made guys miss, broke a tackle, bounced out, you know, and I'm just like, yeah, dude's a real deal, man. I like it. I like every bit of it. It sucks that he missed three games, man. I mean, you know, looking at his usage rate and, you know, how much they use him, uh, shoot, man, I mean, he's at 40 catches for, what, over 500 yards right now, I believe. Um, I, can, I don't have his stats in, in front of me as a whole. Right 40, 40 I, catches, 541 yards, four touchdowns. That's not bad for somebody who, you know, to this moment has also missed uh, three games. So And he's got two touch, touchdowns on the ground too. And he has two touchdowns on the ground. So, and I'm pretty sure over 60 yards rushing. So, actually, oh, yeah, I don't have his rushing stats right here. But um, I'm pretty sure, oh, yeah, over 600 yards, I'm sure, uh, six touchdowns. And, you know, he's missed three games. So, that's really good, man. Really po- positive stuff. Coming out of, uh, you know, from uh, Brandon Ayuk. Well, and uh, KP asked me what I felt like was the biggest difference between somebody like a Devontae Adams 
and a Brandon Ayuk. And one thing I would say, and it relates to what you said, is I think it was Devontae Adams' second year where he had a lot of problems with his hands. He was dropping a lot of easy catches to the point where I I distinctly remember Packers fans kind of turning on him a little bit. And, you know, that's in year two. Year two, you probably don't have as much of an excuse to do those things because you're worrying less about routes and stuff at that point. And really the only thing you have to worry about is catching the ball. But um, the one thing that, that KP asked me, like, what do you see is the biggest difference between the two is, is Devonta Adams right now in his career has like zero wasted movement. Like right. he, he only does exactly what he needs to do to succeed. There's very little wasted movement. And you could tell Ayuk is still at a point where, you know, he's young. He's not even that experienced at the position, at least playing that position at a high level. And I think that Ayuk just looks a little more loose right now. He's probably going to do things that he doesn't need to do uh, that, that, you know, he'll clean up over time with experience and stuff like that. But obviously, like I said, I'm comparing him to one of the best receivers in the game. So it's, it's not exactly a fair comparison. Did you see Um, what Julio said about him? Julio Jones said about Brandon Ayuk? Yeah. I just texted you right now. I'll let you, uh, you should be getting it any second now. No, he ran the Julio in that game. Did he? Yep. Ayuk is Julio's little brother. <laughs> dead ass. <laughs> Mama's Mama's new dead and Des Bryant. That's that. And, and, and I believe one of the uh, one of the routes that KP put in his thing, I believe he ran the Julio, which I mean, most people call it like a blaze out, where you're basically running a, a seven yard post, and about three yards into your post, you break down and turn straight outside. But Julio Jones run, run, runs that bout, runs that route better than anybody ever has. Uh, and probably ever will. So I call it the Julio. Yeah. Um, but and I believe Ayuk ran that and got wide open, and got wide open too. So I mean, it, I I really, I am really very encouraged about what we've seen from Brandon Ayuk, and I, I I think that you're right in the fact that he's kind of in his rookie year, mind you, kind of firmly firmly establishing that he's the guy. He's the guy. And just wait until he gets a, a quarterback, whether that's Garoppolo uh, or, you know, or, or <laughs> yeah, or an upgrade. Yeah, yeah. No, it's all right. All right, my win. Let's get to uh to my winner, and then we'll, that way we can get a word in from our sponsors. You know, and and obviously there are there would be plenty of arguments that would be acceptable to contrary to my second choice, but I ended up going with Nick Mullins. Now. Like I said, there were there were plenty of there was a whole red zone series that that could easily squander my choice, you know. In in one in a three play span, Nick Mullins um, threw threw it late to Kendrick Bourne and and made it to where the way he had to adjust for the pass meant that he couldn't score along the right the right side of the field right up against the goal line. And then in the next play, he couldn't hold his water and tried to start his QB sneak too early despite the fact that the ball hadn't yet snap, been snapped yet. It resulted in a fumble that was recovered by the Bills, but there was a false start penalty on him, so they didn't get that. And then he throws an interception because he threw the ball behind Jeff Wilson on the next play. So it was a horrible red zone series for Nick Mullins. But it's important to remember what Crocker says often in the fact that Nick Mullins is a backup. He's a, a former undrafted free agent that has worked his way into a quality backup position that, by the nature of Jimmy Garoppolo's injuries, has gotten to start a lot. But he's still a backup quarterback, and he's out there doing the best that he can, and most of the times, it's not good enough. Some of the times, it's nowhere near good enough. 
But I felt like against a respectable defense from Buffalo, Nick Mullins did pretty well. He really only had one drive that was truly like a garbage time touchdown drive. It was right there at the end of the game. Um, But I felt like, you know, up the drive before that, where he, it was five plays, it was 75 yards. He got a touchdown. He pulled the 49ers within 10 with, at the end of the third quarter. So, I mean, he was hanging in there, but the Bills obviously came right back and marched down and made it 17 real, real quick and took up five and a half minutes of of time to kind of kind of put that game away but I just felt like for the most part Nick Mullins was pretty good and you the expectations need to be adjusted accordingly based on who he is no I don't think he's better than Jimmy Garoppolo but that's not a bar that he should be held to because he's a backup still threw for three touchdowns two interceptions one of them wasn't his fault because Ayuk did the whole bobble thing you know, I mean, he threw the ball 39 times. And, you know, it was it was a lot on his plate. Yeah, I, you know, watching him, I went into the game talking about, you know, I don't have any expectations for this game because Nick Mullins is that quarterback. And I was pleasantly surprised to see, like, how he played. Now, again, it wasn't pretty, but I expected a lot worse. I just thought it would be a lot clunkier. I thought he came out looking sharp. He made some plays on the move. Even the pass that, you know, kind of first half was really weird. 49ers just didn't have the ball. On the first drive, they drove all the way down the field, took over seven minutes. Obviously, on the quote-unquote second drive, which I still kind of consider the first drive because of that fumble by Buffalo. Um, But he threw the touchdown pass to Ayuk. And then after that, he had the next drive, which was quick. The 49ers got a first down, I want to say, on the first play. And then after that, they went kind of three and out. But... He drove the ball through the middle of the field, throwing the ball to uh, Kendrick Bourne, and it was a very nice anticipation throw. Unfortunately, I think Jordan Reed thought it was for him, so he kind of like batted the ball away, but it was going right to Kendrick Bourne. I thought he was playing with confidence. I thought he did some really nice things. The 49ers offense just really couldn't get in a groove ultimately, and the defense was a big part of that because they could not get off the field, and that kind of made it a little tougher on the offense. So, um Overall, man, I, I just thought Mullins, for who he is and what my expectations were of him heading into the game, I thought he exceeded those. Not saying much, 49ers still lost, but it, it you know, to call him a winner, you know, I, 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 I can see that. I definitely agree. Okay. Now, before we get a message in from our sponsor, neither of us were, were super convicted about our second winner choice. So let's just really quickly, who was your second winner? And then just take about 30 seconds on, on, on why you picked them. I picked the, the defensive line. And um, because I felt like they actually got a lot of pressure and more pressure than they'll get credit for. It was just Josh Allen was just better than them, you know. But in a sense of just like if it was any other quarterback, it was like Jared Goff or something, and they made him move off of his spot like they did Josh Allen, I think they would have had a lot more success. Josh Allen just kind of navigated through the pressure and was able to make throws on the move, and that that was really tough. But I I thought their initial pressure and what you would want to see out of the defensive line, I thought they were pretty, pretty solid, man. They were moving him more times than not, especially early in that game. And they they held up really well against the run too, and they didn't let Josh Allen beat them beat them too many times uh, on the ground. I mean, it was just because he was perfectly fine throwing it in the air. But I mean, hey, you know, give kudos where they're due. 
my second winner was I, I picked as Jeff Wilson Jr. Because despite the fact that, you know, the anointed one, Raheem Mostert, who obviously I, I still consider the 49ers lead running back, uh, their, their guy, so to speak. But over the last two games, Jeff Wilson Jr. has it seemed like he's challenging Raheem for that spot. Jeff Wilson Jr. had two less carries than Raheem, but had five more yards. Raheem averaged 4.7 yards a carry, which is still very good. Like, there's no problem with 4.7 yards a carry. Um, but Jeff Wilson uh, averaged 6.7. Excuse me, 6.7 to Raheem's 4.7. So. And I feel like maybe Kyle Shanahan sees the two as equals and maybe Jeff Wilson is earning a 50-50 split, you know, of these carries. We'll see if that's something that stays consistent. But again, you know, I think Raheem's established himself as a guy and Jeff Wilson Jr. at this point to be splitting carries uh, with Raheem to me impresses me. And and we'll keep an eye on it and see. And see where he goes with that. Jeff Wilson also caught two pass, two passes for twelve yards, whereas Raheem only caught one. So interesting, yeah. interesting to me at least. So let's go ahead. Let's get a word from our sponsors. All right, we're leading it off with Indeed. Twenty twenty has already reshaped how we work, and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly, so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You're only paying for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offers valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions do apply. And as always, we've got Bet Online. Football's back. It's in full swing. Depending on where you are at, you might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online's going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on our seasoning opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Do not forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. BLUEWIRE, it's all one word. Bet online, your online sports book experts. All right, so Crocker, when when you get beat, whatever it was, 37, 17, 30, something like that. What 34, 24. I'm all over the place. 34, 24. When you get beat 34 to 24, and like we've mentioned, that score doesn't even really indicate the ass whooping that the Bills handed the 49ers. There's obviously going to be a healthy amount of losers. 
So who was your first man? Who's the first person that stood out to you as, as for all the wrong reasons? Well, I won't even say for all the wrong reasons, but the first person is Debo Samuel. Now, I saw a lot of um, people complaining on Twitter, hey, why is Debo not getting the ball? How is he not touching the ball? I think a lot of that had to go with the flow of the game. Um, it was kind of choppy early on. The 49ers didn't really have the ball much in the first half. Um, obviously, in the second half, he ended up having, what, six catches, 75 yards, had a carry as well. Um, but that's not why he's a loser. I think he played well when given the opportunity. He's a loser because he just got his spot Debo, right? He just got Jack for his spot. He was looking <laughs> like the wide receiver one. And I remember, like I said already, you know, I remember tweeting out, I think I is more of a wide receiver one than Debo, um, just looking at their skill sets and how they play. And that's kind of come true. And But the fact that Debo let it happen, whether he let it happen intentionally or whatever, it was clear, it was very clear that, Ayuk was the guy. He was the guy that they were trying to get involved in the passing game, whether it was downfield, um, whether it was short throws, whether it was clutch situations. It was all Ayuk. And Debo had to take a back seat to that. And I think they were going to continue to see that happen. Obviously, they're going to just try to get the ball in Debo's hands. But when you think of who's the guy, it's Ayuk. And I called Debo the loser for allowing that to happen um, on, on his watch. So... Uh, not a loser in the sense of I don't think he played poorly. I just think when you look at the roles, he, they, they definitely have a, a vision of the passing game, and it goes through Ayuk and not Debo. Who, if you would have asked me at the end of last year, I would have said, "Hey, that's the that's the guy going forward." But it, I don't think it is. I don't think it's Debo. I think it's Ayuk. I like it. I don't think there's anything I need to add to that because I agree. I agree. Yeah. I'm right there with you. Brandon Ayuk looked tremendous. Debo Samuel looked good too. You know they both they both Debo Samuel added to average 12.2 yards per play, uh, but and Brandon Ayuk averaged 19. Obviously had that big 49 yarder, but um yeah it just and that you know it it kind of just seems no, like it might be. have the 49 yarder. He also had the like 30 yard um, pass interference play as well that kind of gets overshadowed. And that's somebody, he's forcing that. They're throwing the ball downfield. Those are hidden yards, right? Um, right. You know, trying to go vertical right. with him, and they got a, got a flag. So sorry to cut you off, but had to kind of throw that in there as well. Oh, no, no, you're good. No, it, it works. I mean, uh, pass interference plays like that where a DB is, you know, struggling to cover you and ends up committing a penalty like that, you might as well have caught the ball. You know, it, it's, it's just the threat of that play that produces those pass interferences. And so, no, it's a great point. That's a very great point. But all right, so my uh, my first loser, and it kind of pains me to say this because obviously I've been rooting for this guy. I've been probably his his uh, his biggest cheerleader um, is Jason Verrett. Now, this is not a huge indictment of Jason Verrett's abilities. He still had a tremendous season, but – Man, he was he was victimized for I think I think he gave up something on like like eight catches on ten targets, something like that. He eventually I think the 49ers kind of were forced to play a little bit of man uh, there towards the end of the game, and he was consistently manned up against Stephon Diggs. And not not that there's a lot of corners that can handle Stephon Diggs, but Jason Verrett could not handle Stephon Diggs. And uh, Stephon Diggs ran kind of like a little whip route on him and broke his ankles and. And it was uh, it was a rough go for Jason Verrett, and I don't think he gave up any scores. I don't think any of those were contributed to him. 
But at the same time, a lot of those were, were big plays. At one point, I can't remember what caused it. I think the 40, yeah, Dion, Dion, Dion Jordan got his first sack. The, uh, the Bills were looking at like a second and 18. I think this was when the 49ers were down by 10. There was a little bit of, of hope there, depending on how the game unfolded. And the Bills just went straight to Stephon Diggs, who was being covered by Jason Brett twice in a row, one for 10 yards, one for 12 yards, and boom, they got another first down. Drive continues. Sack didn't matter. So Jason Brett got worked over pretty bad. And again, like I'm saying, it's Stephon Diggs. One of, you know, he's a top 10 receiver in the league, and he just does those things to corners. But uh, it wasn't a wasn't a good evening for for Jason Verrett, and hopefully he he kind of rebounds back because his comeback story has been uh, legit. So don't want to see him get pushed around, but it is what it is. Yeah, kind of uh, digs digs had his way, and really shoot digs Cole Beasley. They kind of just did their thing, and you know that kind of goes into my next loser, uh, which I have a bonus one as well. But my next loser is uh, Tavares Moore. And, you know, obviously, uh, you know, I mentioned Cole Beasley because I saw him, I saw Moore tackle Beasley a few times way downfield, like 30 yards downfield. And it's like, why is he, keep the, you know, uh, catching 30-yard passes? But um, even, you know, out, out, outside of that, blown assignments. And I'm not one to kind of point fingers at guys um, for blowing assignments because a lot of times I don't know. Um, this time I actually got a message from someone that told me exactly what happened, and he didn't throw anyone under the bus. But reading between the lines, Moore definitely blew an assignment there. Um, there were some plays early in the game where I, uh, really Moore got beat on the, the touchdown where he tried to go under the pick route uh, of a speedster, and the guy just kind of uh, wheeled up and ended up scoring a touchdown on that one. That was on Moore. Um, there were just too many situations where Moore – was on the wrong end of a of a play. And, you know, that's a guy who people, you know, they want to, uh, you know, see more. There are a lot of people like, oh, Moore is the, the best safety on the team. And didn't see that. Didn't, didn't see that th- th- this game looked kind of really terrible. Like he shouldn't be on the field at all. And I don't want to say that's him. But, uh, yeah, definitely a loser for this game. Well, and it's there was a few like that one play you're talking about where he got caught up near the line of scrimmage and kind of got picked. Like he allowed that to happen too because he went running up there and was going back and forth with, I believe, Dre Greenlaw. Neither of them knew what was happening, and by the time they figured it out or decided, he was just still at the line of scrimmage and got picked by that other route, and the other guy just came wide open. So, not only was was he, you know, did he give up the big play? Uh, and blow an assignment, but he just kind of seemed like he just generally didn't know what he was doing in, in some of the cases, and that's never a good look. Now, in his defense, the 49ers are probably on their end having to switch things up quite a bit, uh, given Dante Johnson's playing nickel. They're probably tr- playing all kinds of weird like dime formations to try and make up for the fact that they don't have anybody to cover Cole Beasley, and you know they're all they're probably all over the place. And I, I'm fairly confident that they threw a lot of new things into the mix. Um, just to try and and balance those scales, but at the same time, like it is what it is, you got to go out there and and make plays and and be responsible for what you do on the field. And he had a few times where it was just a a pretty rough look. So so we'll see, we'll see. Um, my next loser was uh, Mike McGlinchey. Mike McGlinchey, the 49ers' ninth overall pick. Is that what it was? Tenth overall? Ninth overall? Ninth overall pick. 
Yeah, the offensive tackle that just I mean, I don't know what I, pro football. You remember what, like you remember the 49ers won a coin flip with the Oakland Raiders? The Raiders. Yep. Las Vegas Raiders, whatever we call them now. Um the team that got kicked out the Bay Area. But uh <laughs> out of California. Yes. Yes, babe, your favorite team. Um they won 49ers won the coin flip, and the coin flip actually won them Mike McGlinchey because that was who the Raiders were gonna take. And immediately after the 49ers took Mike McGlinchey, the Raiders traded out um, of their pick at 10 and traded back to 15 and drafted uh, Colton Miller, who Colton Miller looked like a joke, you know, his rookie year in the league. But since then, he's progressively gotten better. Where McGlinchey looked like, oh, man, he's going to be a right tackle and maybe left tackle, you know, for 49ers for a really long time. Wow, they really did good with this. And now it's like, God damn, we need to get this guy off the field. He can't block a soul. And it's just ironic because how Colt Miller was viewed, he's actually playing extremely well now. And it's McGlinchey who he we could probably say he's a loser every week. Yeah, he is. Um, he just is. And, and again, I'm not an offensive line guy. I can't break down and come up with a detailed explanation of how he truly is doing on a snap-by-snap basis. But I know that after every game, He's either at the top or near the top of the list as far as allowing pressures on the quarterback. Um, I'm not sure how he's faring up when it comes to actual sacks. Uh, I do know that almost after every game, there's a few highlights of, of him just kind of not knowing what he's doing, looking around, completely whiffing on somebody, being the reason somebody gets tackled behind the line in scrimmage. It's just kind of this compounding thing that's become a theme. Now, maybe he's under a microscope because it's started to happen routinely but the, I mean that's the way it is and he is kind of expected to be the person that shores up that right side obviously Trent Williams is doing pretty well on the left and and he stepped in for somebody like Joe Staley who's a legend and and he's holding up his end of the bargain but the 49ers need solid play from Mike McGlinchey that's why they drafted him where they did and I'm not exactly sure they're getting it anymore again my offensive lineman eye is not astute but I've just I see him atop the list of pressures too often I see highlights gracing Twitter too often and it just seems like or I guess you could say low lights it just seems like he's he's getting his ass kicked out there and some of the times some of the clips I see he just looks like awkward like like he almost doesn't know what to do in a situation so he just kind of gets beat I, I don't know that's that seems harsh and again I I don't have the acumen to to really back this up, but I've just been seeing a lot from Mike McGlinchey that just seems to be on the wrong end of the spectrum. And and hopefully he pans out. The 49ers would really like him to pan out, but it, it just seems to be a little too inconsistent at this point. I hope that's I hope that's fair. Uh, yeah, and on the ground too much. I've heard a lot of people say that he like leaned out. I, I don't know much about that, but if that was the case, yeah, he needs to put back on some, some mass because I, I think for somebody that's six foot eight, and as big as he is, I think he just gets bullied a little too much. And I remember saying, like, man, does, does Mike McGlinchey do anything mean? Like, most of the time when we hear about offensive linemen, like, they're, they're the nasty guys, right? They're the road graders. They're the guys that, you know, they do dirty stuff, right? Like the the, the Taylor Luol, what was his name from Tennessee? Like, where Taylor nobody Luol. likes him? Yeah. Like, you know, people don't really, it's like, oh, he's a dirty player. I want the dirty player. Like, give me the dirty player, man, the guy that people don't like. And it's like McGlinchey is just a really fun guy. And he's a lot like Staley, 
but doesn't play like Staley. And yeah, it just seems like he, you know, again, like you, I'm not, I've actually watched a lot of film on him and saw what some of his issues were early on, early last season. And then late, I thought he played very well when I studied the last three games of the season. I did all this for uh, Scouting Academy. But, um, you know, he just very inconsistent. And for somebody that's supposed to be, you know, you're ninth overall pick, dude. No matter how you, ninth overall pick, he's not playing like that. Now, obviously, he's playing well enough to where he has been a starter the entire time. So that's there's good value there. But I don't think he's been very good for, especially, you know, for the majority of this season. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's just he needs to uh, to clean it up, and I think that much is obvious. And I think he'd probably tell you the same. Maybe he's maybe he's just depressed, know, man. sad he after. Mad. He mad huh? at people he, and say, that yeah, he did. Take- yeah, he had a whole like a little bit of a temper tantrum where he was basically saying, you know, well, everybody's just focusing on on the bad plays and they don't they don't bother highlighting the goods. Where uh, I mean, well, and and that could be the case. You know, an offensive lineman in a lot of cases, it's kind of a thankless job. Like as long as the defensive lineman doesn't get near the quarterback and as long as the run game gains yards, nobody gives a shit. Like you're just part of the, the machine. And, you know, there are, are some offensive linemen around the league that, that get a lot of praise because they, they destroy people or something like that. But it is kind of a thankless job. And I kind of get what he's saying. Like, you know, maybe for every one bad Mike McGlinchey play, you can find five good ones. But I don't know, man. The bad ones seem like they're they're just coming pretty frequently. Yeah, I agree. I have you know, one I, more loser. Uh, well, well, sock it to us, man. What you got? The uh, 49ers defense. Oh, I mean, man, as a whole, you know, they they good job. You know, for the initial drive, standing up on the goal line and everything. 49ers offense. Uh, they they got a good they got a good stop there. That was big time, keeping those uh, points off the board. And then uh, 49ers offense drove down the field, obviously did not score. But the 49ers got a turnover the very next play. Amazing, right? Even though it's kind of gifted to them, um, they kind of just fumbled the exchange. 49ers were the beneficiaries of it. Uh, I want to say Fred Warner was the one that pounced on the ball. But after that, I don't quote me on this because I didn't look, but I think I heard this. I want to say the – Buffalo Bills had six straight scoring drives. I mean, now, I, can, I got it right here. Let's let's see. Yeah, I want to say they had six straight scoring drives, and there were a lot of people. Well, the offense didn't hold the ball. Well, the, the defense is not getting off the field. They can't get a stop. So that's why they're gassed. Like people are like, oh, the the offense. Like yeah, they, they did. They did starting. Drives. Yeah, starting in the second quarter for the Bills, it went. So they the first one they were. Out on, they, know, they, went for, they went for the fourth goal at the goal line. Right. Then they had the fumble um, on the one. And then they went touchdown, touchdown, field goal, touchdown, field goal, touchdown. Yeah. And, 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 and again, that's with the stop at the goal line. So, I mean, and at the very <laughs> – at the goal line, on the, like, one-yard line. So that's including that or drive where they drove all the way down the field. So definitely defense this game. I mean, couldn't get a stop, couldn't get off the field, got abused, couldn't figure out how to play. It's like, do we want to play zone? Then picking it apart was just pitch and catch. Do we want to play man? 
uh, thing. We can't guard them one-on-one. Can't guard, do anything with Stefan Diggs. Uh, they're busting coverages left and right. I mean, it was just – that might be the worst effort I've seen by the defense in, in the Salah, Salah, Salah era. And I say that because you have guys. Like, you, you could say the Dolphins game was poor, but a lot of it was the Brian Allen guy who shouldn't have been playing, was targeted early and all that. Um, so, you know, I, I just won't, you know. But outside of that, this was as bad as it gets when you talk about a team having six straight scoring drives. It's pretty pitiful. So, definitely loser, bonus loser. Yeah, I, I don't think there's I don't think there's any any need to rebuttal or justify that one. It was it was pretty bad. How much pressure uh, does just, that put on Nick Mullins led team? You know what I'm saying? Like you 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 when every time they get the ball, they're scoring, and I'm Nick Mullins, and I know I'm not Josh Allen. <laughs> you know, it's like like I can't keep up with that. Like, can you guys get one stop? Like, okay, I get a three and out. Okay, I got a three and out. I, I get it. Not great. But can you guys please get a stop so at least I can get another opportunity? Because right now you guys let them score every single time. That was that was pitiful. Yeah, it was bad, and 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 it, and it kind of led me to what I said yes to you on on last night's pod is like was there anything the 49ers defense could have done to even prevent what the Bills were gonna do? It didn't seem like it. Like they when they did get pressure on Josh Allen, they. He just easily escaped it through downfield. When they were playing zone, they were easily eating that up and had plenty of completions. Uh, when they started playing man, they couldn't cover in man. And it just seemed like there was no answer. Like And, and before this, I talked about possibly including Robert Sala in the losers list. And you kind of dissuaded me, and, and I agree with you in the fact that you said, well, what could Robert Sala have done? You know, he was kind of handcuffed with the way the entire squad was playing on defense. Missed assignments, can't cover, can't pass rush. I mean, I guess they stopped the run. They did that, but they stopped the run because they didn't have to run very much because they were completely dominating you through the air. It was very uncharacteristic, looked weird. Um, I don't know. And, and to me, it kind of lends to, to what I've been saying. Like, let's say they do make the playoffs by some miracle. And in order to make the playoffs at this point, they would have to beat playoff caliber teams, kind of, you know, like the Seahawks, um, Cardinals-ish. But I still believe that if they got into the playoffs, that's kind of what the game would look like. Right. You know what I mean? You're dealing with the best of the best guys that are game planning, have extended time to game plan against, against just you specifically. And it just didn't seem like the 49ers had any answer to the bills. And I don't think the bills did anything tremendous. They just executed and the 49ers couldn't stop anything. It's not like they had some trick plays dialed up or some crazy ass formations. The 49ers just couldn't, could not hang. Pitch and catch. Right. It was, you know, my guy versus your guy. Let's see who wins. And it was the bills nine out of 10 times. So, I don't know, man. I think that's it. You know, obviously it's it's not overly positive, but that happens when you get your ass kicked by the Bills. You know, it, it is what it is. We can't always be positive around here. Um, on We don't usually pod on Tuesday, or for you guys, we don't re- re- usually release a pod on Wednesdays, but we will re- be recording on Wednesdays for our Thursday morning mailbag. So Crocker and I, on Wednesday morning, we'll put out our tweet asking for questions. Uh, if you have a Twitter and you're listening, make sure you're following us so you can be a part of that at Rob underscore louder at Eric underscore Crocker. 
Um, make sure you're following so you can ask a question. We will answer it. We answer all of our questions. Um, make sure you're a part of that because it's all about you guys. Without the questions, we don't have much to talk about. And, uh, and, and it's kind of on you. So if you have something that's, that's bugging you, something we've said, something you're thinking, that's something that's on your mind, jump in there. Ask a question. Be a part of it. Yeah. Um, but as always, we appreciate you guys. Thank you for, for listening to the pod. Thank you for uh, helping support it and make it what it is. But hey, for another episode, this is Striking Bowl. Signing out. Peace. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.